0: there just wasn't a lot of people we just felt like we needed to engage with young people and get young people off the streets and into programs that would challenge them to grow academically and spiritually and socially Unfortunately, we've seen that our young people, they deal with a lot of real challenges in their lives, and their families deal with a lot of real challenges in their lives, and so the things that happen outside of school have a big impact on what happens when they come through those doors at 8 o'clock in the morning. You can have the best teacher in the world, and if a student isn't in a place where they can receive the information you're presenting, it doesn't do any good. For us then, our job is not only to help provide a great lesson for a student, but also to create an environment where students can come into school and they can deal
1: with some of those things that are happening outside of school and we can help them find positive ways to deal with that.
2: Here in this place, within this community, we encourage young people to dream. And beyond that, I think we create a space that's diverse. You're creating opportunities for them to broaden their perspective on life and the world around them. We do the work with our children. We try to understand the needs, educate, and encourage them and empower them to really do their own work as well.
0: I've always believed that a committed group of people coming together behind a united vision could make a difference. Ultimately it's not money that changes the world, it's people, it's the human spirit. And so Urban Promise, I think, has been this little miracle of a very eclectic band of people from all kinds of different backgrounds, coming together around this vision and make a difference.
2: We have not only our school, but after school, we have an after school program, we have the camps, and we're all speaking the same language and showing the same love consistently throughout. Um, And that love is not limited to a school year. And we really take a holistic view of it and help the students just really see who they are.
0: The vision of Urban Promise is really this, what I would call K to college vision. So we're trying to get kids involved at an early age and then walk with them through each developmental stage throughout their life. So the programs are important because each of our programs, whether it's an after school program or a summer camp or a street leader program or a boat building program, I think it responds to the child at whatever stage or interest they are at in their lives and part of that is just to keep them engaged. When young people are engaged they're going to continue to be connected to adults and they're going to be connected in those impactful relationships.
1: There's this idea that you come to ministry to fix trauma and there's no way we could heal trauma but one thing that we could do is provide them with moments of happiness of joy and all to carry with them as well. What we provide Urban Promise allows them to be more open, meet new people, learn new things, try new things, um, experience joy in a safe way, help them shape their identity in a positive way, not one of bitterness or you know, surrounded by trauma, but one surrounded by wonder.
0: If I walk around campus, Uh, which I often do, and I ask young people, you know, give me one word to describe Urban Promise. Inevitably, the word that comes up is family. And when you hear that word repeated frequently, uh, I think it says something. It's a second family, it's a home away from home. And again, that's very different from a program. And young people don't talk about Urban Promise in terms of programs, talk about it with the language of family.
2: The people who make up this community really do care. We care about loving on our kids, being present for our kids, being present with our kids. We care about the social issues that are happening in our neighborhoods. We care about who our families are, who our kids are, what the needs are. And so the kids uh, embody the love, right? It's not just about the love that we give, but the kids now give that love back. It's less about defining success for them and more about giving them the space to figure out who they are, to explore their truth, uh, and to become anything they want to be.
0: Well, good evening. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming out tonight. This is my friend Tony. You just saw him in the video. Give Tony a hand. So uh, I've known Tony, uh, boy, I've known you a long time. I had a full head of hair, I think, when I first met you. I think so did I. That's why you have a hat on. Uh, Tell us, how long, Tony, have you been involved with Urban Promise?
1: Oh, uh, it'll be, it's been over 26, 27 years
0: now. 26, 27 years. So how, how old were you when
1: you got started? I was five years old. Five. Now, our program started six so, did you sneak in or... or I, I, you know, that's I was a five-year-old kid, um, innocent, you know, blame my parents, but yeah, I don't know how I was able to get into the program. So, but so you lied to get in the program. I didn't lie, my parents lied.
0: <laughs> Your parents <Yeah>. lied. <laughs> so... Uh, but, y- you know, you came through the program and, and uh, you went to college, you went to Eastern University, got a degree in what?
1: I got a degree in history and secondary education.
0: History and secondary ed. And do you think that would have happened had you not gone to Urban Promise?
1: You know, uh, looking back, I I can say that Urban Promise was the big reason why I was able to go to college, first generation, um, graduate. They gave me a full scholarship to Eastern University. Um, But yeah, looking back to it, connecting the dots, yeah, Urban Promise was the reason why I went off to school. And so
0: now you're back. You are an after-school director. You have what? How many kids in your program?
1: Uh, I have about 66 kids registered. I get about... 40-45 uh, kids daily so. so 66 kids Registered,
0: yeah. they come to your program So tell us why, Tony You know, why was it important For you to come back to your community And give back
1: I think uh, You know, Bruce You plug in your book, Promise Effect I think this is an effect that Has taken on me, you know, Urban Promise Is a place where, like, love just simply Does, in a sense Um where ordinary people is allowed to do works of wonder and transformation. And I think hmm. the idea of this guy from Canada who promised to come for a summer to work in the basement of a church caused this big effect. We're now promised an international program um affecting my life. And I felt like I was obligated to come back to my city, you know, Camden, and give back and There's no better vehicle to give back than Urban Promise. Hmm. So, especially since it gave so much to me.
0: Well, thank you for what you do. And let's give him a hand for, uh, thank you, Tony. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm pulling into the, the ministry headquarters at eight o'clock at night, and, and one of the buses is pulling in, and there's Tony. He's just finished dropping his last kid off, and we couldn't do this work uh, without dedicated young people like Tony. Uh, just a short verse of scripture for you tonight. Uh, Marty asked me to uh, share a, a little bit about, uh, I guess the, the word here right now at the church is development. So he asked me to come and talk about youth development and uh, I'm pretty passionate about that. I've been doing it for 30 years, so so thank you, Marty, for giving me this opportunity. But uh, a short verse of Scripture from the Apostle Paul to a community much like ours, and he's reminding this community of the characteristics that should define them. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, says this, These three remain, faith, Hope and love. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this night and we thank you for this congregation. I thank you for their partnership in ministry over the years. I pray now that you would speak to us in new and fresh ways. Help us to understand more completely what it means to translate faith, hope, and love to a world that's thirsty for faith, hope, and love. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It's, uh, it's hard uh, not to talk about faith development without thinking about my own kids. I've got, I've got three young people in their 20s, and I don't know whether some of you can uh, identify with me, but when you're, your kids are in your 20s, you're always wondering who they're going to bring home especially your daughters. You know, who's going to be the one? And I remember uh, hearing a little story about a, a young woman. She brings her future fiancé home to meet the folks, and they have dinner, and afterwards the husband says to the wife, or sorry, the wife says to the husband, why don't you take him aside, get to know him a little bit? And So the, the husband takes the young man into his study and says, you know, young man, what are you studying? And the, the young man says, well, I'm, I'm studying theology. And the father says, well, that's very noble of you, but my, my daughter's going to need an engagement ring. What are you going to do about that? And uh, the young man says, well, I'll study and God will provide. Well, the father says, well, my, uh, my daughter's going to need a house to live in. What are you going to do about that? The young man says, well, I'll study and God will provide. Father says, well, my grandkids, they're going to need education. They're going to get, need to get food. What are you going to do about that? Young man says, well, I'll study and God will provide. Well, they wrap up the meeting, goes upstairs. The wife says to the husband, how did it go? And he said, well, I got, I got bad news and good news. <laughs> she said, well, give me, the, give me the bad news. And he said, well, he's got no job and no prospects. <laughs> so she says, well, give me the good news. And he says, uh, he thinks I'm God. Um, Laughter Nobody under 20 ever laughs at that joke. Uh, But I see some of you nodding with me. There's a philosopher and social critic named Cornel West. He asks this question. He says this. He says, what's the greatest threat? What's the greatest threat facing young people growing up in under-resourced communities? Is it violence? Is it gangs? Is it poor educational opportunities for the one billion children in this world growing up in impoverished communities, what is the greatest threat? And this is what he says. And I happen to agree with him. He says the greatest threat facing young people growing up in impoverished communities is what he calls nihilism. Let me give you the definition. Nihilism. It's the lived experience, the lived experience of a life of horrifying lovelessness, meaninglessness, and hopelessness. And he goes on to say that a life without love, a life without meaning, and a life without hope leads to a numbing detachment from oneself and others that ultimately leads to the destruction of oneself and others. The greatest threat is not drugs, it's not gangs, it's not violence, it's a spiritual reality. It's a life without love, meaning, and hope. So when you flip on the news and you read about that 14-year-old kid that shoots another kid for a pair of sneakers and some bubble gum, that's nihilism. Right? Right? When you read about kids from Medford and Mount Holly driving into Camden to buy heroin and cocaine and throwing away their futures, that's nihilism. When you read about a, a kid, a 19-year-old kid who fathers three kids by three different young women, that's nihilism. It's the lived experience of a life of horrifying lovelessness, meaninglessness, And hopelessness. Now, when I hear that, I think who better to speak to those realities of the human condition than us, the church? (laughs) I mean, isn't that what we're here for? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everybody that loves is born of God. We are a people of love. Jesus says 58 times in the gospel Follow me and I will give your life meaning and purpose and vision. We are people of meaning. The psalmist writes, those who sow with tears will reap a harvest of joy. The apostle says, suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character and character leads to hope. We're people of hope. Let me tell you, there is no better community of people to speak to those issues of love, meaning, and hope than the Church of Jesus Christ. And yet, here's what I've discovered: we have a billion kids growing up in poverty. We have a community over here that generates love, meaning, and hope, but there's a disconnect. We uh, we started our ministry 30 years ago in Camden. Little Baptist church on the east side of town. It was a church that once had 500 people. When we got there in 1988, there were 16 people left in the congregation. 12 of them were trustees. I mean, those are not good odds for a youth pastor. <laughs> It reminded me of that church where the little boy wakes up one morning and he feels like God's calling him to go to church. So he puts on his little suit, his little tie, and walks across town, walks up the back steps. A deacon meets him at the top of the stairs and says, Little boy, this is not church for you. Your church is on the other side of the tracks. Well, the boy sits down on the curb and he starts crying. And he starts crying out to God. I thought you called me to go to church. I thought you called me to go to church. All of a sudden, there's this bolt of lightning, clap of thunder. And this voice says, don't worry, kid. I've been trying to get in that church for 27 years myself. <laughs> it was one of those churches. But here's what I'll never forget. When we got there... There was a beautiful white metallic door on the side of the church and it was only open twice a week. Once at 10.45 to let the 16 people in and once at 12.15 to let the 16 people out. Well, we started these youth programs and all of a sudden we got 150 kids showing up. and and they get there early and they're pounding on the doors and this beautiful white metallic door now has dents and gashes and and dirt and and finally one day this little kid named Hansan comes running through the door and he rips it off its hinges (laughs) and there's this once proud door just so I fix it up I go home that night and uh, there's a voicemail from the head trustee emergency meeting about the church door so I come back to the church and I come up the back steps in the conference room there are 13 of those metal cold chairs 12 of them are filled with these angry guys that hadn't smiled since 1958 and they motioned me to sit down and they start reading me the riot act about this church door. I mean, the, the doorknob was raised by the women's auxiliary in 1964 and the hinges by the youth car wash in 1972. They're going on and on about this church door. Finally, I look at these guys and I said, You guys, I have friends in seminary. I tell them that there's dents on the outside of the door from kids trying to get in and they're jealous. I said, where in the scriptures does it say on the day of judgment we'll, we'll come before the throne of Jesus with our church doors? <laughs> I said, why don't we put a line item in the budget door replacement fund and we could be the only church in America that has to repair its door every six months because kids want to get in. They didn't buy it. <laughs> they kicked us out. <laughs> Five years later, the church closed its doors. There's a disconnect. We've got a billion kids who are hungry for hope, meaning, and love. We've got a community that produces hope, meaning, and love. But... But something gets lost in translation. I had a friend who was a pastor in the inner city of Boston and he just watched what was happening in his neighborhood for a year. Finally, one day he approached the major drug dealer in the community and said, Liz, listen, I've been watching you for a year. I'm just curious why are you so effective at reaching younger kids in the community? Do you know what this drug dealer said? He said, Pastor, it's because we're here and you're not. My pastor friend said, what do you mean? He said, well, when little Rudy goes to school in the morning, we're here, you're not. When Rudy comes home at three o'clock, we're here, we're not. When Rudy goes to the corner store for a loaf of bread and a quart of milk, we're here that you're, and you're not. Do you, do you want to know why we're winning? We're present. And my friend realized that he needed to be on the streets embodying hope, meaning and love for kids. So for the last 30 years that's what we've been trying to do at Urban Promise. How do you translate love, meaning and hope for kids that are thirsty for love, meaning and hope? One one of my favorite times of the year is report card day. And I sit in my office on 36th and Federal, and I watch kids come up 36th Street from Davis Elementary School, and they come up and they got their backpacks, and they're they're waving yellow slips of paper, and I know it's report card day. And I know they have them out because I know that when they walk through the door of the after school program, there's a caring adult there that's looking at these report cards and giving them a big hug. So a couple of years ago, I'm sitting in my office. And I'm working on a fundraising letter, and I look up, and uh, I see this kid, Poncho, and he's, he's leaning against the door jamb, and he's got this yellow slip of paper hanging off his hip. So I, I, I ignore him for about five minutes, then I look back up, he's still there. I said, Poncho, what do you got in your hand? My report card. Can I take a look at it? Big smile comes into my office, I unfold it. He has a D that's gone to a C, a C to a B, a B to an A. I said, Poncho, this is incredible. Can I make a photocopy of it? Well, his eyes get about a big saucer, so I run down, I photocopy his report card. I come back up, I fold it up, I give it to him, go back to work. 15 minutes later, I come out of my office. Guess what? Three doors down, there's Poncho <laughs> leaning against the door jamb with his report card hanging off his hip. That afternoon, he just worked the office. (laughs) But why would a kid do that? Because his mom worked two jobs, and his dad was in prison. And just to have somebody acknowledge him, somebody notice him. If we want to translate love for a thirsty world, it means attention. We started a high school 20 years ago. Do you know why? because we were losing a lot of kids they were dropping out of school so we started this little high school in a 600 square foot row home 28 kids one bathroom kids couldn't hide and I remember we had kids coming to school that had missed 80, 90 days the previous year and I would go to them Monique, last year you missed 90 days what's the difference? and inevitably you know what I would hear? if I don't show up Somebody misses me. It's not rocket science. I remember Mother Teresa, that little five-foot Albanian nun who picked up the dying from the streets of Calcutta when she came to the U.S. for the first time. A reporter was following her around. At one point, the reporter asked Mother Teresa, this little saint, she said, he said, Mother Teresa... How does the poverty compare in America to that in Calcutta? And she said these words, I'll never forget them. She said, oh, the poverty in the U.S. is far greater. He said, what do you mean? She said, well, in Calcutta, we have physical poverty, but in America, you have the poverty of being nobody to anybody. You have the poverty of being nobody to anybody. How do we translate love in practical ways to kids who are thirsty for love? But love is not enough. In that little quote I read earlier, we also have to address the issue of meaning. Why do kids join gangs? Because gangs give you a sense of identity and a sense of meaning. So what we've been doing at Urban Promise is we've been creating a new gang. We're the largest employer of kids in the city. We found that we were losing kids to the street because Bible study was not enough. Kids wanted meaning and purpose. I'll never forget a few years ago, we we hired 100 kids one summer, and I had them in the basement because we had run out of money. We do that. We're a nonprofit. (laughs) And I remember we had two weeks left in the summer, and I had 100 kids on payroll, and these kids were coaches and mentors and tutors and, and, and role models for younger kids in the community. They were running our day camps, and here they are in our church basement. And I looked out at them and I said, you guys, I got bad news. I've only got funding for five of you to stay on the last two weeks. And I remember looking at the back, and I said, there's a box at the back. Put your uniform in the box on, on the way out. I said thank you for your service. We've had a great summer and I'm really sorry we couldn't meet our obligation. And I'll never forget the kids sat there. And then one of them finally put up their hand and said, "Reverend Maine, you really think we're working here for the money?" <laughs> we're not working here for the money. We're working here because we're making a difference in our community. And you can take my paycheck and give it to Shonda because she needs it more than I do. And all of a sudden, kids all over the room started putting up their hands and donating their paychecks. And I realized at that moment, it wasn't about a job. It was about meaning. It was about purpose. You see, kids are thirsty do something significant with their lives how do we communicate that I uh, have to raise a lot of money in my job and I remember a few years ago I'm at a big foundation in Philadelphia and we were trying to get a grant and I remember the guy at the foundation looked at me at one point and he said you know if you just got rid of Jesus references to the Bible in your mission we'd give you lots of money and I remember it was a big grant, and I didn't want to lose it. I was about to walk out the door, and then I turned around, and I looked at this guy, and I said, Listen, sir, I just want to ask you something. If you were at a meeting in Philadelphia, and it ended about 1130 at night, you get in your car, you drive over the Ben Franklin Bridge, you get on the 626, and your car overheats. So you have to pull off at Kane Avenue, and there you are in the heart of South Camden at midnight. And I remember looking at this guy, and I said, all of a sudden there's a group of teens walking down the street. Would you want them coming from a gang initiation meeting or a Bible study where they've just been studying the implications of the Good Samaritan? And when those young people stop and offer you their cell phone, and maybe a hot cup of coffee, be sure to tell them why you don't fund faith-based programs. (laughs) We got the money. (laughs) But isn't it true? You see, faith calling kids to serve Jesus It gives young people a deep sense of meaning. But here's the last. Hope. How do we translate hope for young people? Remember reading a book a few years ago by Art Levine called Beating the Odds, How Poor Kids Get to College. And I remember this guy, he tracked 50 kids from the inner city of Boston that went to schools like MIT and Harvard and Boston College, kids coming from neighborhoods that never should have gone to college. And he sat down and he interviewed each one of them. And then he looked for similarities in their stories. Do you know what they all had in common? Every one of those young people could point to an adult in their life, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, A pastor who, in the words of Levine, gave them a sense of future. You see, hope is transmitted through people. There was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania named Martin Ziggleman. In the 70s, he did an experiment. You can't do these anymore because it was not nice to animals. But hear me out. In this experiment, he had six dogs in a cage, a metal cage. He strapped the paws of the dogs to the grates on the bottom of the metal cage. And then he initiated shock, electricity through the cage. Well, you can imagine, the dogs responded. They barked. They tried to pull up their paws from the bottom of the cage, but they couldn't. He did it again. He did it again. Finally, after about the seventh or eighth try, he realized something, that the dogs stopped barking and the dogs stopped trying to pull their paws off the grates. And Zilligman called that conditioned hopelessness. Conditioned hopelessness. The dogs had given up. Then he did something he unstrapped their paws. He opened up the gate on the cage and he administrated shock. But again, the dogs didn't move. They just stopped and they stayed there and they absorbed the shock. He was perplexed. And at that point, he asked Can dogs overcome conditioned hopelessness? And then he did something. He brought a new dog into the cage one that hadn't been administrated shock. He got the dog in the cage, left the gate open. He administrated the electricity. The dog that had just been introduced to the cage jumped up and started barking. (laughs) Looked at the exit, took off. The other six dogs looked at the dog and then followed that dog out of the cage. (laughs) But what he realized is that conditioned hopelessness could be overcome when you witness somebody that has hope. First Peter says what? Be ready to defend the hope that is in you with gentleness and kindness. I'll close with this. One of the things we try to do at Urban Promise is give kids hope. A number of years ago I was asked to speak to our leaders and I remember I was looking for something to speak on and I came across a verse that's actually etched on the tombstone of Martin Luther King Jr. from the book of Genesis chapter 37 verse 19 it goes simply this it's about Joseph it says behold here comes the dreamer let's kill him and see what becomes of his dream and I remember looking out at this group of kids And I remember reminding them that God wants them to have a dream for their life, but there will be a lot of things that will try to kill the dream. Sometimes it will be a teacher. Sometimes it will be a parent. Sometimes it will be a relative. I noticed behind me on the stage there were eight chairs. I looked out at the audience, and then I asked a young man named Carl to stand up. I said, Carl, your uncle was the biggest drug dealer in East Camden, but you dared to dream come on up here and take a seat in one of these dream chairs. And I'll never forget, Carl got up and he started walking down the aisle and all hundred kids started chanting his name and he took a seat in the dream chair. And then I said, Monique, stand up. You've had health problems, but you just got a scholarship to Eastern University. You dared to dream a dream. Come on down and sit in one of the dream chairs. And Monique came down and all hundred kids started chanting her name. And then I said, Jacob, you just got accepted into the army. Come on down. You dreamed a dream. And by the end of the talk, I had eight kids in the dream chairs. The place went nuts. Wrapped up, the talk, walking back to the dorm. I feel this tug on my sleeve. I turn around. It's this little 14-year-old girl named Lynn. She said, Mr. Bruce, this has been the toughest year of my life. My parents kicked me out of the house. I thought of ending my life. But Mr. Bruce, you need to know something. One day I'm going to sit in one of those dream chairs. And I knew at that moment that that kid was going to be okay. And last fall, 20 years later... That young woman stood up at our banquet in front of 600 people at the Scottish Rite Auditorium. That little immigrant kid from Cambodia who came to Camden with nothing the little one that was going to give up on her life and she stood up there and she shared her testimony in front of 600 people she went to dental school she's a dental assistant she's raising a family that's what happens when we help kids to dream that's our calling my friends as the church how do we translate love, meaning and hope for a thirsty hungry world let's pray gracious God I thank you for congregations like this that I I can feel the love. I can feel the hope. I can feel the deep sense of meaning. But as this congregation continues to discern its call in the world, I pray that you would help, help it, to learn what it means to translate love, meaning, and hope to both this immediate community and to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.